Welcome to the Transcend Human Podcast. My name is Daryl McMullen, and this is a show dedicated to understanding the human condition, how it impacts us, and how we can rise above it. We are a community that values truth, transparency, growth, and love on the road to living lives that serve a higher purpose. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. It is January 11th, 2021, another beautiful morning in Southern California, although the funny thing is it's the winter here, and so, uh, you know, those of you living in other parts of the country are probably like, oh, you poor people in California, you're in the middle of winter, Uh, you must be all bundled up, it's so cold, Um, which it's really not, obviously. Uh, When I just look at the weather channel here, let me just look. Yeah, we're in the 70s for the next week or so. Uh, but the the strange thing is, and the, you don't really understand this until you get here, um, but there is a huge difference in the, uh, the, the temperatures in the daytime and the temperatures at night or in the evening. And so I think that's really what makes people in warmer climates cold sometimes is that there is this drastic difference between the temperature at night and the temperature during the day. And it just does a number on your body. Uh, and so I remember back when we lived in Indiana, you know, we would have uh, weeks at a time where it was hovering around zero. So, you know, the last two winters before we left, it was actually getting down into the negative, negative 10, negative 15 sometimes um, as part of this thing they called the polar vortex, which was just awesome. Um, but what would happen is that temperature would remain uh, pretty consistent, right? So it'd be that cold at night. And then during the daytime, you know, it would get up into the high tens, you know, 15 degrees or something like that. So, you know, not a drastic difference from night to day. Um, and that's really the difference, I think, in, in a climate like here in Southern California is sure, it, it might be, you know, in the 70s uh, during the daytime. But when it gets down to 45 degrees at night, I mean, that is a drastic change in temperature and it, it just does something to your body. It has to, cause your body has to be able to, um, uh, acclimate to both in a 24 hour period of time. So just an interesting fun fact about California. All right. Uh, let's move into our minute of transparency. So I'm going to call this one, have yourself a very COVID Christmas. Pretty sad. I know. Uh, but let me explain. So what I was thinking the other day, back to, you know, Thanksgiving and the Christmas holidays and, and New Year's and just the way that it was celebrated this year uh, and how different it was from previous years. And it was just strange, right? Uh, probably because for the last 10 months or so, we've been doing the following. We have been learning about this new thing called COVID. We've been tracking it as a global pandemic. Uh, we are living in fear at times. We work to flatten the curve. We quarantined. Uh, we are getting COVID tested. We're watching the number of people in the ICUs rise. We're watching the deaths, uh, total deaths rise. Uh, we're restricting travel. Uh, businesses are being forced to close. Businesses are going out of business. Uh, people are getting fired, laid off, or furloughed. Uh, you know, Disneyland alone, I think, laid off over 32,000 employees at one point. 
uh, we learned about remote learning, uh, which we realized means that you're barely learning anything. Um, we have eaten more takeout than we've ever eaten before. Uh, Starbucks closed down for a while. Uh, we're dealing with one of the most bizarre elections in history and how that's unfolding here in the new year. Uh, we're dealing with racial and social injustice that raised its head during this time, dealing with protests and riots, dealing with fringe groups that are rising um, as there's sort of a leadership vacuum going on. Uh, we're dealing with natural disasters and some of the worst fires in, in the country's history, um, all up and down the uh, West Coast. Uh, we've had to wear face coverings. We've had to social distance. We've had to work from home. Uh, we've been living on Zoom, uh, waiting in lines just to get into a store to look at clothes, uh, standing on little round dots, uh, rationing toilet paper and hand sanitizer, not going to the movies, concerts, or sporting events, uh, getting more anxious, irritable, depressed, and angry by the minute, and wondering when it will all end. So on some level, I can't imagine that not impacting your holidays, right? 2020 has been one of the craziest years on record, uh, and we've all felt it in a slightly different way. Some are struggling to, just to do basics, right? Like food, shelter, and gainful employment. Um, others may have that piece figured out, but they're struggling emotionally uh, or struggling because COVID took the lives of people close to them. And then there's every combination in between. So I can just imagine how the holidays went for you. For me and my family, it was kind of a mixed bag, right? Over Thanksgiving, we were able to travel uh, back to Indiana to see close friends. Uh, we had made plans way in advance, you know, back when the numbers were looking good and things were getting better. Uh, however, as the trip got closer, the numbers started to spike. And though we still went, uh, it meant a more restricted trip, right? It meant wearing masks more often, social distancing, um, at some times, you know, sitting out in the cold weather just to interact with people that you love. And we actually missed out on our traditional family Thanksgiving gathering uh, because of it. Then, uh, because we traveled over Thanksgiving, <clears throat> and because our son was supposed to be practicing with his high school football team, um, we stayed home for Christmas and New Year's with no traveling and no gatherings with extended family either. Uh, even though high school sports was again pushed back due to the increased numbers in, in COVID cases, we basically sat home as a family. And while it was nice, right, it was nice getting up Christmas morning just with your immediate family and spending the day together, uh, it was also sad not to be able to, to share the season uh, with those you love. But no matter how we celebrated or who we celebrated with, um, my hope is that you were able to rest uh, and find some level of peace in the holiday season. Okay, uh, let's move on to the topic we have for today. Uh, not 100% related, but I guess loosely. Uh, this week's topic is transcending church. Uh, and in this episode, we're going to talk about things like pick your poison, uh, what makes church church, uh, the COVID-19 effect, 2020 and beyond, and you do you. Number one, pick your poison. When it comes to church or church attendance, each of us has a slightly different experience, right? Some of you grew up in church and some of you found church later in life and still others may have never stepped foot in a church. For me, uh, church has been a big part of my life for as long as I can remember, uh, which is back to probably around the first grade. Uh, I remember going to a church in Hinsdale, Illinois I remember being dropped off in a room with kids my age uh, and hanging out for a while 
And then I remember kind of the sermon part of the, the service where I got to sit with my parents uh, in wooden pews and eat Cheerios and color. Uh, then I remember living in Powell, Wyoming uh, for about seven years, attending a small rural church with about 60 people. Again, hanging out with a few kids my age and then sitting in pews with my parents while the sermon droned on. And then singing along to the old piano played by an elderly woman who uh, tried her best. Uh, freshman and sophomore year in high school, we're back to uh, Hinsdale, Illinois, at the same church I attended in first grade. Uh, junior and senior years, uh, I was at a boarding academy in La Fox, Illinois, and, and attended a, a church on campus there. Uh, then I went to college uh, in Michigan and attended the campus church that was there for four years during my undergrad degree, uh, and then for another couple years while I was getting my master's degree in social work. After college, um, I found work regionally uh, in South Bend, Indiana, and started attending a church uh, in that area, a growing church. Uh, we got married and had a family at that time, uh, and that's where our, our family attended for quite a while. Uh, then in 2016, we moved across the country uh, to California, uh, and we began attending a large church in Irvine, California. And since then, we've either been at that church or other churches uh, in this area. So looking back over my church experience, uh, I can see two very distinct differences between the churches that I attended, right? Uh, some of the churches I attended I would consider traditional, and then the rest I would consider megachurch. And I believe that these two distinctions are, are growing bigger and bigger every day, um, and that they'll probably exist for a, a good long time to come. So a traditional church, this is kind of how I would define it. So a traditional church is usually part of a larger uh, mainstream denomination and part of uh, an organizational structure for that denomination. Uh, typically smaller churches, though there are some pretty large uh, traditional churches. Uh, typically they have a defined statement of faith and they take a stand on most moral issues. Uh, the worship style is typically more traditional, using pianos or organs or hymnals, things like that. And the sermons tend to be very Bible-based, right, with a heavy use of Scripture uh, during the messages uh, in order to deliver the Word of God to the people, so to speak. Then when you uh, deal with a megachurch, you're, you're basically dealing with a church that's much larger, not always part of a larger denomination, um, the church that we attended in Indiana started out as a United Methodist church, but eventually broke away uh, in order to be more independent. Um, these churches are often known as community churches, Bible churches, or non-denominational churches. Uh, and many of them kind of follow after a, a tried and true formula based on a successful church like uh, Saddleback Church started by Rick Warren or uh, Willow Creek Church out of Chicago, which was started by uh, Dave Holmbo uh, and Bill Hybels. And at the core of these churches is often uh, a strategy stemming from uh, a book written by Rick Warren, which is called Pur Purpose Driven Church. And these churches are fairly uh, light in terms of their statement of faith, tending to list some of the larger, more global beliefs mm -hmm. that that um, that they follow, and then allowing attendees to kind of bring their own beliefs to the table on everything else. Uh, these churches often adopt a more progressive style of worship in order to attract people. Uh, you know, pianos and organs are often traded in for full bands and large uh, 
TV screens or projection screens. Uh, pop culture elements are, are often referenced on a regular basis in order to make the newcomer feel welcome and included. Uh, sermons tend to include more pop culture references or stories um, with Bible verses sprinkled in to basically support the, the topic of the day. Now, I know some of these things are starting to fall into the stereotype uh, category, so I'll, I'll stop while I'm ahead, but you get the idea. And obviously, when I look back on my life, I can see these two distinctions, right? I can, I can see that <clears throat> some of the early churches I attended were very traditional, um, from basically from birth until I graduated from college. And then from there, it was kind of the more megachurch style um, that I've been involved with since then. And again, this is only my story, right? This is my experience with the church. Uh, my wife was not really a church-going person at all until we met. I think she attended church every now and then with her, her family, uh, but it was never something that really was a big part of her life. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that she's never really attended a traditional-style church. So her church experience has been largely megachurch. Uh, similarly, our kids have been raised in megachurches since birth uh, and have little to no experience with what traditional church is like. But the truth of the matter is this. In the U.S., these two styles of churches are the most common. Uh, and if you are a church-going person, there is a 99% chance that you will probably have experienced one of these two types of church. Number two, what makes church church? So to be clear, this episode isn't about pitting the two against each other, right? It isn't it isn't going to help tell you if one is better than the other or if one is right and one is wrong. Um, we'll just leave all of that alone and say that there are amazing people in both settings and there are some less than amazing people in both settings. Sound familiar? Uh, church is really a direct reflection of the world that we experience every day, right? There are good people in the world and there are bad people in the world and you get to choose which side you want to be on. And it's very similar in the church. Uh, however, in both settings, traditional and megachurch, we use the word church. So we probably need to get a pretty clear idea of what that word means. So if you ask uh, Webster or any other dictionary what church is to define church, it's basically a building for public and especially Christian worship, uh, the clergy or officialdom of a religious body, a body or organization of religious believers, a denomination like Presbyterian, for example, or a public divine worship service. So that's all well and good. I mean, it sounds good on paper, right? I mean, it's but it's just a high-level definition. What about elements that make up a church and help define it? In other words, when someone says, I'm part of a church, what does that actually mean? Are there certain things that need to be present in order to call it a church? Well, according to Rick Warren, in his book, The Purpose Driven Church, uh, there are five essential purposes of a local church, and all of them come from two places in the Bible. So the Great Commandment and the Great Commission, uh, Matthew 22 and Matthew 28. Uh, the Great Commandment is... And Jesus said to them, you shall love your Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
And then the Great Commission says, uh, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe the things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So from these two verses, uh, Rick Warren pulls out the following purposes. Number one, worship, which is basically loving God well. Number two is ministry, which can kind of be translated into loving your neighbor well. Uh, number three, fellowship, which is kind of the gathering together of, of people and identifying themselves as a kind of a church body. Uh, number four is discipleship, which is teaching people how to follow God, what it means to be a Christian. And then five is mission, which is telling others about God, people who don't already know or people who aren't part of your, your church body. Now, this is probably not the final word in what makes a church essential. Um, I mean, there are other churches out there that have a similar belief structure, but they just call it something different. Uh, for example, um, there's a movement called the Acts 2 Church, um, and they, they get their information from Acts 2.42, where it says, and they con continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. So an Acts 2 church suggests that, you know, these are the essential purposes of the church, um, to gather uh, in fellowship, to listen to the apostles' teaching, pastors or ministers, uh, to eat together, and to pray together. Then there's also this thing called the Romans 12 church, right? There's a whole movement that are called Romans 12 churches or R12 churches. Uh, and this comes from Romans 12, 1 to 2, where it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, uh, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, uh, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. So our 12 churches suggest that these are the essential purposes of the church that you surrender, be surrendered to God, that you be separate from the world's values, that you live a sober life and a life of self-assessment, uh, that you serve in love, and that you supernaturally respond to evil with good. And these are just three, right? These are just three ideas as to what it means to do church. But I think in reading through them, we're starting to get a pretty good picture of what church is to most people, right? There is this element where you are connecting to God. There is an element that connects us to other people. And then there's typically an element of growth or learning uh, how to live along the way. Number three, the COVID-19 effect. So this was my world, and this was pretty much everybody's world before COVID-19, right? This is how we looked at the church, right? We were able to clump churches into big buckets of either being traditional or a mega church. Um, for me personally, I understood what the five purposes of the church were, right? I had heard about churches that grew out of the Acts 2 or Romans 12 mindset. Uh, and for the most part, church was done the same way, right? Everyone met in buildings, they sang songs, they took up offerings, they listened to a sermon, and then they went home. Uh, you can call it tradition. You can call it doing what works. Uh, you can call it a tried and true method, uh, or simply the fact that it's always been done this way. But whichever way you crack it, the egg spells comfort level to me, right? It's how we did it, it's how we liked it, and it's how it went. Uh, 
until COVID-19. Now, for those of you who aren't involved in church, um, I'll need to explain it a bit further. But for everybody else, you know exactly what I'm going to say next. Church as we knew it ended. Quarantining, sheltering in place, no gatherings of over 50 people, which then became no gatherings of over 10 people. It all amounted to one thing. There was not going to be church. Church was not going to happen. Uh, and even now, as they begin to open churches, you know, to 25% capacity or, or whatever percentage it is in your state, it still isn't church, right? It still isn't church the way church was done before. Now, there's going to be this thing called online church, right? And while there typically weren't churches that were exclusively online, most larger churches offered their services online as either a live-streamed event or as on-demand content. But COVID made them rethink everything. Suddenly, the live stream was the most important thing that they had. Uh, churches that failed to set up live stream before COVID-19 were now scrambling to get it set up correctly. Um, churches that failed to set up live stream well before COVID-19 were now in a rush to bump up their platform uh, so that it didn't crash You know, when more than 10 people viewed it. But it wasn't just the churches scrambling to exist in this new COVID world, right? It was all of us as well. Uh, for the past 10 months, I've been asking myself new questions like, what exactly is church? Do we have to meet in person? Can I just watch a service online once a week and call it church? And does it have to be the whole service or can I just watch the message part? Uh, and what is church going to look like in the future, right? Will it go back to the 2019 version of normal, or will there be a new normal? Number four, 2021 and beyond. As this new year rolls in, uh, and as vaccines roll out, uh, what does the future look like for the church? Well, my guess is that we'll probably see three variations. Number one, I will call the returners. So this will be churches and attendees who can't see church done any other way. For them, the minute everything opens back up at 100%, they are back at it, doing church once a week in a big box under a steeple with a big cross on top. Uh, they may or may not be offering online services, but it doesn't matter because the most important thing to them is being back to normal 2019 style. Number two, you have the non-returners. So my guess is that there will be churches out there who will have to close their doors. Uh, you know, after this long stretch of no in-person services and, you know, maybe failed attempts at, at offering online content well, uh, they'll just have to fold. Uh, and along with these churches, uh, my guess is that there will be many people who will decide not to return to church as well. Uh, after 10 months of not having to go to church, uh, new habits have formed, new routines have been put in place, and in-person church uh, may again be looked at as a chore, right? Something uh, that you would have to work back into your schedule in order to make it happen. And then obviously there are those with health concerns, right? People who uh, will decide to stay away from church uh, out of a fear that there are just too many people in one place. Uh, and some of these people may access online content, but others may just be done, period. And then finally, I would say that there is a group called the Evolvers. Uh, so these are people who, you know, will probably look at COVID-19 as a wake-up call, right? Churches that will take all of the research, all of the outcomes, uh, and try something new. 
Maybe it's offering both in-person and a full lineup of online options. Uh, or maybe it's just an entirely new strategy for engagement and discipleship. Uh, but these are the churches and the people who don't want to go back to normal, right? They want to create a new normal, both churches and people who are along for the ride. And this group is asking what I'm asking. What is church and why has it always been done the same way? So out of the three options above, um, I feel badly for the non-returners. I'm a bit nervous for the returners and I'm hopeful for the evolvers. Let me explain. Uh, one of the biggest questions that came out of the past 10 months for many people, I think, is probably this. When we were forced to move to online church, did we still do church? I mean, did it count as church, right? Did we did we get our attendance points or was it just a feeble attempt at church? And did we fall short of being an actual church? And I think that's what I've been struggling with, right? Just looking at the five purposes uh, that Rick Warren puts forth, worship, ministry, fellowship, discipleship, and mission. Um, if that's, you know, how we're going to define church, were we doing church for the past 10 months? Were we doing all of those things online? And if not, then were we actually doing church? Obviously, we won't answer this question by the end of this episode. Uh, this debate is going to go on for many years in the future, as it was actually raging for many years uh, in the past. Ever since online church became possible, people have argued about whether or not it's truly church and whether it counts as actual church. COVID-19 was simply a magnifying glass, if you will. It, it shone the light on this debate and, and forced us to have the conversation again because it was the only way we could do church. Um, it forced churches to either adopt it or offer their congregants nothing until the pandemic was over. So all of a sudden, nobody was debating. They were just all offering online content as quickly as possible. However, that doesn't mean that the debate is over, right? I'm sure it will continue in full force as churches move back toward in-person services. Number five, you do you. So one big piece of the puzzle, something that we haven't really addressed yet, is this whole concept of personality, like each of us and our personalities and how it's impacted us during COVID-19. So based on your personality, how have you navigated church, right? Are you a mess just waiting for the 2019 normal to return? Uh, have you stopped going altogether? Unsure if you'll even return to church once the pandemic is over? Or have you evolved? Have you found new ways to continue worshiping, strengthening your faith, and growing as a Christian during these difficult times? I bring up personality simply because everyone is different, and that means we all have different experiences. So I'll just use mine and my wife's uh, kind of as examples. So my wife is a highly relational extrovert. She likes being around people. She's a seven on the Enneagram. Uh, she likes to be out and about adventuring. So for her, online church content during COVID was helpful, but it was a hard transition from an in-person experience. Uh, one of the things she really misses is corporate worship, right? Being led by a worship leader, being with a bunch of other people, all singing together. Uh, and when I asked her about returning to in-person services, she really agreed uh, that she was looking forward to it, but also said that it didn't have to be that way, right? It didn't have to be the default, uh, that she was more open to not going from time to time and still accessing the online content instead. Now, me, on the other hand, I'm a little different. 
a little less relational. I'm an introvert. I'm a one on the Enneagram. Uh, and I enjoy downtime, uh, especially time where I can think, dream, and create. So for me, switching to online content was pretty simple. Uh, at first, I would listen to services from our church exclusively uh, and typically on the weekends. Uh, but eventually, I began finding other services and other speakers and their content and fitting it randomly into my week. For me, being online was less of a problem, though I also did start to feel a bit disconnected from the larger church or the larger group of people that we used to hang out with when we did in-person church. So one of the things that I noticed in this crazy time of trying to do church during a pandemic um, is that there may be no right answer right now, right? Each of us connects with God in slightly different ways. So how can we figure out what way ours is and do more of that? And how can we do more of that while at the same time not trampling on or discounting the way that somebody else chooses to do church? The whole concept of you do you is a great thing, but it can be difficult in a family setting if you do you and I'll do me mean that you're never in the same place. So there has to be some give and take, right? There has to be a level of moderation in the way that you do church when you're in a small group of people like a family. For our family, I could see uh, doing in-person church half the time, doing online church once in a while, and even doing weekends where we uh, escape into nature, you know, go on hikes or uh, take trips up to the mountains or go on a scheduled beach day uh, with the family. I guess what I'm saying is that I want to be an evolver, right? I want my family to be evolvers with me. Uh, taking steps outside of our comfort zone to find the new normal for us and our family. So let's lie on the plane. Uh, as you go through this season, ask yourself the following questions. What did church look like for you in 2019? Number two, when COVID hit, how did that impact you and your church involvement? Number three, are you a returner, a non-returner, or an evolver? And number four, depending on the choice above, how will this impact you and your family for the long term? I think this is a really good place to start. If you ask yourself these four questions, um, it, it should at least open the door um, to a better understanding of what church means to you, um, what your connection is to God, and what church really means for you moving forward. And it should help you get started on putting things in place uh, that will help you grow in the future. I want to thank you for being with us here today. Uh, my prayer for you this week is really that you will just think through your view of church uh, and decide what that means for you and your family in this new year. Uh, I know in my heart that church is important. However, what that looks like is going to be different for us in the next few years. Um, and it will be different for each of us. Uh, but as long as you're about the business of connecting with God, loving others, and growing in your faith, I think we're on the right track. Until next time, have a great week, and keep transcending human. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. For more information, you can go to transcendhuman.com, 
where you'll find additional content as well as ways to contact us and links to our social media channels. Thanks again for subscribing to the show, and we'll see you again real soon.